you are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Westbrook. And welcome. You are locked on to the NBA. My name is Nick Angstead, host of the Locked On Mavericks podcast. And joining me today, as always in this time slot, usually with David Locke, but when something crazy happens in the NBA, he joins me. The bat signal goes out. It's Ben Golliver, the Washington Post. What you got for me, Ben? We did it again, Nick. We did it again. <laughs> uh, we've got a, a big time trade. One of the bigger moves, I would say, of the entire offseason. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, when you're looking at Russell Westbrook and kind of what he was supposed to bring to the Houston Rockets last year and, and having them kind of, uh, you know, turn right around and, and trade him to the Washington Wizards. You've got a situation in Washington where John Wall was there for a decade straight. I mean, one of the longest tenured players in the NBA, he winds up, uh, you know, never really getting that sequel or that second act after his injury to try to put the pieces back together with Bradley Beal. Uh, he gets sent back to Houston. I think now we got some big time questions about where's Houston going, right? Are, are they now going to try to make a trade with James Harden? How does the, the pieces fit between John Wall and James Harden? I'm not sure. And then if you're Washington, uh, how do the pieces fit with Bradley Beal and, and Russell Westbrook? Is that a long-term marriage or a, a short-term marriage of convenience? I mean, just so many things to kind of dig into here. Absolutely. Huge news on that front. We will get into that on both sides, on the Wizards side, the Rocket side. What does this mean for both of those? We'll talk about all that today. Uh, guys, if you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, all that kind of good stuff. Also, follow us on social media, Locked On NBA on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that kind of stuff. Putting out great pods from all different teams that cover daily, five days a week, we're covering teams. So go follow all those. I run all those accounts, so I appreciate it if you did that. All right, the big news of the, of the day. We haven't even got to it. I mean, we haven't even talked about the biggest news, the big story that came out, a transaction that happened in the NBA, Ben. The third ball brother, Leangelo Ball, signs oh, with, with the Pistons. The third ball. LeVar Ball knew it from the beginning, Ben. All three ball brothers would be in the NBA. Well, it's it's interesting because didn't he get a training camp deal or a G League deal with the Oklahoma City Thunder for a while there too, Leangelo Ball, and now Trey close. Weaver goes from from OKC to Detroit, and so he's going to show up. Look, I don't think he's going to stick. Uh, does anybody think he's going to stick? Uh, Lavar, maybe the only one. Never, okay. never lost. All right. Well, look, uh, I hate to break it to you, Nick. That's not the biggest transaction of the day. <laughs> oh, sorry. I got, all, I got all excited about it. Yeah, no. Uh, so LeBron James signs his uh, two-year $85 million maximum contract extension. That happened at the NBA on uh, on Tuesday, on uh, on Wednesday. Ben, this kind of came out of nowhere. We've all been waiting for the Anthony Davis you know, contract extension, but here is uh, LeBron's one kind of coming out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, it's a, a great win for the Lakers. Obviously, you're locking him in uh, for, you know, until 2023, potentially. I mean, for him, he gets a little bit of a raise on next year's salary. He gets an extra year of guaranteed money. So in, in case there's a serious injury or some, you know, steep age-related decline that we don't really see coming, uh, you know, he gets a little bit of extra financial protection. But I think what it really just shows is that the relationship between that Lakers front office, Rich Paul with Clutch Sports, and LeBron James um, and Anthony Davis, you can throw him in there too. It's just everybody is on the same page completely. There is no desire to try to maintain short-term leverage and explore options in free agency or anything like that. Um, they're feeling like they won the offseason after taking care of Contavious Caldwell-Pope, going to grab Dennis Schroeder and, uh, and Montrez Harrell. I mean, they're feeling like L.A. is the place to be. Why, why mess with a good thing? So 
I think from LeBron, it's a, a change of pace for him. Uh, he's really liked those short-term contracts, and he's liked to manage, uh, to maximize his leverage over an organization. And I think he's saying right now, look, there's nowhere else I'd rather be than L.A. This is the spot, so I might as well, uh, you know, might as well take a, a little raise and, and uh, extend my contract and, and sit here feeling pretty good about life. Yeah, everything went well for them this past season. You know, LeBron's health was good as opposed to last season. He's looking, I mean, as good as ever. There's times this season and maybe the end of the season where he was the best player in the NBA still. And so the decline, we've seen it in certain areas of his game. But overall, he's still, you know, one of the best players in the NBA. So that stays up for the Lakers. I just thought it was interesting that they they went and did this. Uh, Shams was trying to point out that maybe this is sort of a thing where he's, you know, planting himself in the NBA at least as a max guy until his son comes in the NBA. I mean, that I mean that's definitely a possibility the way he's playing. Well, look, I mean, LeBron has said for years now that his the next big priority of his career other than chasing championships is to be able to take the court uh, with Bronny. Uh, Bronny just finished his freshman year at Sierra Canyon here in Southern California. He had a strong year. I don't know if you've seen some of the pictures floating around him, but he looks like he got a little bit bigger and and more mature here over the summer, over the the, the break here during the coronavirus. And he's going to be a big-time prospect. There's no question. Now, the, the timing with 2023, that is contingent upon the NBA changing its draft eligibility rules so that guys can go straight from high school to the pros. Bronny would uh, you know, potentially uh, you know, graduate in 2023, and the NBA has talked about doing that. I think it's kind of an expected maneuver at some point that they would think about doing that. So that could all line up where LeBron's a free agent, Bronny's uh, you know, draft eligible, and and somebody could kind of put the uh, the package deal together. But this has been something that LeBron has told people that he's wanted to do since way before Bronny was even like on the AAU scene. <laughs> you know, he was kind of always loved Ken Griffey Jr. You know, LeBron did. And the idea of Ken Griffey Jr. and Ken Griffey Sr. is just such a, a cool sports story that they were able to play together. I believe they've been home run, like had home runs back to back in one game. So I think that LeBron's envisioning throwing alley-oops to Bronny and vice versa. And, you know, he's just kind of getting into his feels about it. And I would just say this, LeBron's got more power, more connections, uh, you know, more leverage, more influence in the NBA than any other player of the modern era. Like I am not betting against him being able to (laughs) play on the same team with his son at all. And some people might say, well, what if Bronny's not an NBA caliber player? I mean, come on, we've seen, uh, you know, Michael Jordan uh, put uh, Rod Higgins, son on the Charlotte Hornets. I mean, I think that uh, special circumstances, special arrangements could be made uh, if Bronny falls short. But by all accounts, he's going to be on track to be that kind of a player. Imagine the concept, throwing an alley-oop to your dad. I mean, I don't know about your dad, but I don't think my dad could could get there. Well, I just know this. I mean, he doesn't want Bronny to dunk on him, so they've got to be on the same team, right? <laughs> like, if, if you're a 40-year-old yeah, really. Hall of Famer, and your son turns the corner and he's trying to, to bang on you, I mean, look, that's that's not going to go over well, right? That's uh, the end, you don't yeah. Wanna, you don't want to put your wife in a situation where she has to cheer for her son or her <laughs> husband either. So, I mean, you're going to have to line this thing up properly if you're LeBron. Oh, I think I think Savannah's definitely choosing Bronny in that situation. I think the whole <laughs> world would choose Bronny. I think all the LeBron haters would just revel in that for sure. Uh, yeah, every Thanksgiving, Christmas, all that. Like, yeah, yeah, but Dad, I dunked on you. Like, <laughs> like Daddy, here's the gift. I'm just going to show it to you over and over again. Uh, all right, the, ulti- the ultimate family bragging rights. Oh, for sure. That would be awesome. Speaking of the Lakers, they are one of the four teams playing on opening night. We learned about the new matchups, Golden State at the Nets, and then the Clippers at the Lakers, which is going to be an incredible home game, depending on how many fans are allowed. Uh, then the day after, Bucks at the Celtics, and then Mavericks at the Suns. Is there any one matchup that sticks out to you straight out from the first two game, first two days of games that we learned about? 
Well, I think that first of all, we have to assume that there's not going to be very many fans allowed, right? Yeah, true, I true. mean, wouldn't, wouldn't you agree that? I mean, we're coming up here. We're like three weeks away. It's amazing to me that the NBA has not released its first half schedule and we're less than three weeks away from opening night. So that tells you how much they're scrambling here in this particular situation. I think that the biggest takeaways to me from not only these first two games, but also from Christmas is the idea that they're building a lot of the schedule around LeBron, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, right? That's no big surprise. Those guys were the top three players before Durant and and Steph Curry got injured. But what I'm kind of liking is the influx of younger talent, right? I mean, they're putting Jason Tatum in some big-time showcase games, right? They're putting uh, Luka Doncic head-to-head yeah. against LeBron on Christmas, right? They're putting Zion Williamson on Christmas. I mean, they're giving these guys just some new blood, some an injection of some just fresher faces. And if you see some other players like a Joel Embiid or a James Harden or a Damian Lillard who are left off the Christmas schedule, and I think the NBA is making some uh, some calculated moves here. They're saying, hey, we got to start introducing some of these younger guys to the next generation. The reason why I like it is I think they were a little bit slow to really uh, push Giannis on the masses, right? I think there was like a year or two delay where Giannis was just like an unbelievable all-NBA level talent, but the NBA didn't really totally understand what they had. And I think they're kind of learning from that experience when it comes to Luka. And they're saying, look, everybody loves watching Luka play. So get him on Christmas against LeBron. Everybody's going to be talking about that the day after Christmas. Yeah, absolutely. I use um, you know my family, my wife, my my parents as kind of like a barometer as far as like a super casual person that doesn't even watch games, but just maybe hears games. Maybe my parents will watch some games here and there, but they didn't even know who Giannis was when I went home for Christmas last year. I mean, can you imagine a guy MVP who's going to be MVP again? They didn't even know you know who he was, and so I think that's a, a, you know the perfect point there. They're pushing Luca, they're pushing Zion, obviously. You know, Jason Tatum, another one. I think that uh, I'm obviously looking at the the Mavericks Lakers game on Christmas Day, but that Mavericks Suns game is pretty interesting too. Devin Booker getting some spotlight as well. I think that, that that's a really good point by you of them pushing some of these younger guys, and then the I mean the Steph Curry Durant matchup opening night, like Draymond playing against Durant. This is the first time we've seen Draymond play against Durant since you know that incident so it's probably all gonna be fine on the court but we're all gonna be watching every single like motion every single thing that they do well the crazy thing is I mean I think if you look at Golden State in the state of their roster right now you know going to start the season at Brooklyn at Milwaukee that could get ugly you know I mean that might not be great for them I mean they're relying on a lot of players a rookie and James Weissman that's an awfully big stage for him to start on you've got guys like Kelly Oubre and Andrew Wiggins I promise you Andrew Wiggins never played a game like these two games when he was in Minnesota, not once. You know what I mean? And he's never had that level of pressure and attention. There's going to be more people watching that game than – They had that one play-in a- game, right, where they played against Denver. Yeah. That was like their one thing. And then they made the playoffs. But, yeah, these are going to be yeah. huge. Come on. We're, that's not Christmas, you know. I mean, that's not like Kevin Durant versus Steph Curry where, you know, if you're not carrying your slack, everybody's going to start making jokes at your expense. I, I just think it's a different vibe for them. And, uh, and yeah, so, uh, you know, to me, I think that you've, you've highlighted the right games here, but I also like, I mean, Tatum versus KD, that's, that's pretty juicy too. You know, yeah, that's that a little bit of a, a generational battle. I mean, Tatum's not going easy on KD. If he's trying to get his Achilles right, if he's like moving a little bit tentatively, I mean, Tatum's going to go right after him. So, you know, I love that one as well. I mean, if you're a junkie, like an NBA junkie watching, you know, listening to this podcast right now, I mean, all these matchups, <laughs> you, you like all of them. So the NBA is doing doing something right in that department. All right, coming up, let's dive right into head first into this Westbrook and Wall trade. Depending on which side you call it, do you call it the Westbrook trade, the Wall trade? I think you just call it both of them. So coming up, we'll get into both sides on that.
All right, Ben, let's talk about the Westbrook and Wall trade. But before we do, tune in tomorrow for Anthony Irwin and uh, Adam Morris talk all kinds of stuff in the NBA. You have Anthony Irwin from Locked On Lakers, Adam Morris from Locked On Nuggets. They are one of the most creative duos, I think, on this network of you know coming up with show ideas and different things. So stick around and subscribe and listen to them tomorrow. All right. Russell Westbrook traded to the Washington Wizards. He is a wizard, which is now weird. I mean, Westbrook has been on so many teams now. Thunder, Rockets, and now Wizards. John Wall gets traded with a 2023 protected first-round pick. Those protections are as follows. 2023, it's a lottery-protected pick. The next year after that, it's top 12. 2025, it becomes a top 10-protected pick. 2026 becomes top 8, and then two second-rounders after that. So... I guess a decent asset, especially if Westbrook and maybe Brad Beal are going to be gone from the Wizards by then. What did you think about this trade for both sides? Well, look, I mean, I I think that's a solid pick, but I would have expected more. You know, we're talking about a player in John Wall who hasn't played in almost two full calendar years. You know, he's coming off not only this Achilles injury, but there was two back-to-back surgeries uh, because he basically re-aggravated it before he really did the tear. And then prior to that, he's had knee injuries, you know, for multiple years that have limited him. It's a very extensive, you know, track record. I think some people might say, well, look, they're about the same age. They make almost the same amount of money. They're both unhappy. They both issued trade requests. This is sort of like an even value proposition. And I don't view it that way at all. I mean, look, I'm one of Westbrook's probably harsher critics out there, but he's still a very productive player. He plays most nights. Um, You know, he has had playoff experience. He's been doing it against Western Conference competition his entire career. Um, you know, to me, he is still a more valuable player despite his contract and despite his obvious flaws in the postseason than a player like John Wall is just because he's one, you know, he's one play away from, uh, you know, career altering stuff, you know, just given his injury history. So I was surprised Houston didn't get more in this trade. And I also think it's just a, a sign of their desperation, right? Their lack of leverage. They felt that, you know, they said they were willing to be uncomfortable, you know, bringing guys like Harden and, and Westbrook back. No, they weren't. <laughs> they weren't very willing to be uncomfortable if, if they made this <laughs> trade with, with these particular terms. So uh, I think uh, for Houston, the conversation just immediately shifts to, OK, is Harden next? Right. Because you look at Harden, there's no fit to me with with John Wall. To me, John Wall's a worse fit with Harden than Westbrook was. And Westbrook was a worse fit with Harden than Chris Paul was. So over the course of two years, you just had a massive downgrade and then another downgrade, right? And, and so I think from that standpoint, if you're James Harden, you already wanted out, you're looking at new president, you're looking at a new coach, you're looking at a relatively new owner, you're looking at a, a overhauled roster, and you're looking at a new superstar sidekick. You're saying, come on, man, get me out of here. Like, what's even happening right now? Yeah, I think you're you're Will Smith and you know Fresh Prince like looking around in the empty, <laughs> looking around <laughs> in the empty room like what am I still doing here? All the guys that basically made the Rockets, it's the Seinfeld joke of you're just basically rooting for laundry at this point. I mean, they even shipped out Covington before that, and uh, man, yeah, th- this trade is is very interesting to me. I like I think your your point about the Rockets getting more they they weren't willing to get to get uncomfortable and they get this you know highly protected pick from the Wizards. They get John Wall back. The big stat here for me. John Wall, 73 played games out of the last 236 possible games for the Wizards. I mean, absolutely crazy. He was an all-star in 2017-2018, but he only played 41 games that season. I mean, the guy has just not been available. So, you know, color me skeptical that this guy is going to come out and all of a sudden play and be back to his all-star level self, and this is going to be you know, an even trade, or this is going to be you know flipping disgruntled stars for each other. But 
Russell Westbrook was third team All NBA for all the flack that we gave him in the you know in the playoffs and all that. He still made third team All NBA this past season. I mean that, and he also like you said shows up and all that. So I'm I'm confused about this for the Rockets. I do think that John that James Harden is going somewhere else. I mean I think that it's just it's not a matter of you know if it's when it's like what trader package are they going to get i think they will be patient enough for that one because if they screw that trade up i mean their their team is done for i don't know years maybe like a it might take a decade to recover from that trade if that trade isn't done well yeah i think that you know when you're looking at houston's kind of the questionable side of it i think we should spin it around and say look this is a win for washington you know they're sitting in a situation where John Wall, anytime guys have career-altering injuries, they always are more likely to remember their past self than their current self, right? So in John Wall's mind, he wants to come back and be a franchise player because that's who he was before the injury. And that's a very natural thing. It's admirable. You want players to be competitive like that. But that would not be in the best case of the Wizards or the best interest of the Wizards if that's how they tried to approach the season, right? Because Bradley Beal is their franchise player. He's come to expect to be the number one guy during John Wall's absence. That was just going to be a natural tension, butting of heads. There's kind of no way around it. And those guys have had some really successful seasons together. But the power dynamic between the two of them just completely changed because of that injury. And it seemed like John Wall had a hard time wrapping his mind around that based on how he reacted to the possibility of the trade rumors. So I think from Washington's standpoint, you're taking on a lot of risk with Westbrook as well. You have no idea whether he's going to be able to pair uh, with Bradley Beal. And, you know, you don't want Westbrook to take the ball out of Beal's fans or to marginalize Beal because he's such an incredibly efficient lead guard. You know, you want Westbrook to do the right amount, not do too much. And you also worry that if you have recent lottery picks like a, a Denny Avdia or a Rui Hachimura, those guys' development might be kind of put to the side because of Westbrook's ball dominance, because of his major personality and everything else, right? So you're going to have some risk that you have to balance if you're Washington, but I think ultimately it's worth it if you can avoid that head-to-head clash between, you know, Beal and and John Wall sort of chasing the past, right? And I think that, um, you know, from that standpoint, you know, I looked at John Wall when he went down injured as being the most untradeable guy in the league, you know, (laughs) five years super max with a serious Achilles injury for a player who can't shoot, and relies totally on his athleticism. I mean, that's a, an absolutely disastrous situation. Unfortunately, it, it's not his fault. Those are just kind of the, the situation. So for Washington to be able to kind of turn around two years later and move off of him and uh, you know get a player back who could help them make a potential playoff chase, and then you kind of figure it out next summer, I think that's, uh, I think that's pretty nice work by their front office. Yeah, I think untradeable is not – it's not a term we can use anymore, right? We've seen Chris Paul get traded twice. We've seen Russell Westbrook now get traded twice, and John Wall now get traded, even with all his injuries. Uh, I think there's just levels of untradeability at this point, right? It's kind of like the yeah, you know, well, the hurricane sure, like, like levels. Uh, yeah, it's a category five. Right? Yeah, <laughs> category. Uh, yeah. Yeah, look, I never thought Chris Paul was untradeable. Like, that's a big contract, and people kind of flinch anytime the contracts get above $40 million because that's a new development in the NBA. Like, only the last couple of years have we seen that, right? Uh, but there's a big difference between Chris Paul, who might be you know losing half a step here and there, but he is still like an all-NBA-level guy, and John Wall, who hasn't been on the court for two years, right? And so uh, that's why, to me, he was like kind of in that category. And I do think probably for the first year or two that contract, he was untradeable, but what we're learning is, you know, uh, three years of bad money can be moved uh, in, the, in the right situation. And, uh, you know, I, I think especially in this unique season where it's going to be a shortened year, no fans, you don't really have to stress about selling tickets. I think if you're for a front office, you can, uh, 
you can maybe take on a little bit more risk, right? You can like take a shot and, and just try to, you know, mix things up and, and see how it goes. And that's why from Houston's standpoint, I kind of hope they trade Harden because I think they'd be better off trying to tank this year. It's a really strong draft. Get yourself into the lottery mix. Um, you know, I think a team with John Wall, Christian Wood, and whoever you get back for Harden is, is going nowhere in the Western Conference. And I think that's better than trying to stick around in the middle of the, in the, middle of the pack, have Harden try to do everything and play hero again and, and have him sort of butt heads with John Wall over control of the basketball. I mean, to me, that's not a very favorable situation. I would prefer to, to take the tanking route if I was Houston. Yeah, all right. We'll get into more of that Houston side of it, what Houston's team looks like now if they don't trade James Harden and uh, the Wizards. Can the Wizards make the playoffs? Are they a lock for the playoffs? We'll talk about that coming up. All right, Ben, let's get into some more about this trade. We were talking about it from both sides. There's a couple of reunions here I find kind of interesting, right? There's the John Wall and Boogie Cousins reunion with the Rockets. They were back at UK in the 2009-2010 season. And then there's the Russell Westbrook and Scott Brooks reunion. Which reunion are you more interested in? (laughs) Oh, that's a great question. I'm not sure how long Cousins is going to stick around. I'll I'll be honest there. I mean, I think that I I saw the reports, okay, he had a good workout and all that. But, I mean, he's also multiple years and multiple major injuries away from being kind of an impact player. Who's ever had a uh, bad workout, by the way? Has anyone ever had a bad workout? Like, his workout didn't go well. I feel like I have like maybe two out of seven good workouts a week personally. No, uh, yeah. <laughs> but in terms of like NBA level guys, uh, yeah, no, it, it usually you're, you're, you know, doing better than the average Joe. Let's, let's put it that way. But, um, you know, it'd be a great story if it works out, but I would keep expectations very, very low, uh, for him in Houston. Uh, I mean, let's remember what did he look like in golden state? I mean, that was before another major injury. He was struggling to move on defense. You know, he wasn't really a featured offensive player, but still he was, you know, kind of struggling to find his role. And you even look at how the NBA, in terms of what it's prioritizing with mobility on defense, versatility, guys who can step out and, and guard on the perimeter, and that's just not Cousins, right? No. Um, so I, I worry a little bit there. The Scott Brooks and Russell Westbrook one's interesting because I do think if you're Brooks, you'd probably rather have Westbrook than John Wall, right? Like at least you know he's going to be there bring in effort every single day. You know what his personality is about, so you're not like relying on secondhand rumors of what kind of a teammate is. You know exactly who he is. And you're feeling like you have a better shot to win in uh, what I believe is a contract year for Scott Brooks. Uh, if not, he's coming up close to it. So from that standpoint, like you need to show progress this season. If you miss the playoffs for the third year in a row – um, that's not good for the franchise and, and someone's head's going to have to roll there. So I think from that standpoint, grabbing a guy like, uh, you know, Russell Westbrook and trying to find a way to make it work. That's uh you know, it's not the worst thing in the world for Scott Brooks. Yeah. The more functional reunion is, you know, the Scott Brooks, Russell Westbrook one, that one's actually going to matter. The, the John Wall and Boogie Cousins might not matter, but man, this is kind of the end of one of the one of the biggest like what if trades ever, right? Or well, what if they traded Bradley Beal for Demarcus Cousins back when Cousins was with Sacramento and he was like an All NBA type guy, and you reunite John Wall and Boogie Cousins? It seemed like that was in like a trade machine darling trade for years and years, and now we get to see it, but it's just this broken, you know, nothing like shell of itself, you know, pairing that could have been. So, and and that was ten years ago that those guys were on the same team, almost twelve. So. I thought that those two reunions were interesting. Uh, the Rockets now, I mean, you, you think that the Rockets should just you should tank and kind of blow it up and trade James Harden. Are there any are there any like trades that stick out to you that's not I mean, Brooklyn's been the one that people have talked about. Uh, like the Thunder have assets for it. I guess the Pelicans have a bunch of assets they could throw at it, but there doesn't seem to be a team that just really sticks out as a James Harden destination. 
Yeah, you know, it's tricky because when superstars uh, ask out, they have a lot of leverage now in terms of where they land, right? And so you could like, you know, you look at the teams that could just throw the moon at Houston, right? It's like Oklahoma City, New Orleans, you know, these situations that Harden's really probably not going to have any interest in going to, right? No. Um, and you even look at like second tier contenders who might say, look, if we could put together a package for James Harden, that could boost us up and over the top. And I think in a lot of those cases, you know, he's probably, you know, being pretty selective too. I mean, to me, the Brooklyn one makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, however many draft picks it takes to do it, you know, if I'm Brooklyn, I do it. They have an awful lot of players on their roster. Like, I don't know if you looked at their depth chart recently, but they got like 11 guys, 12 guys who are going to want to play. Um, and I also just think if you're Brooklyn, you're probably going out in the second round if Kyrie Irving is your second best player. And if, you know, James Harden or Kevin Durant is your second best player, you're probably going to the finals, right? Um, and so I think from that standpoint, like, that's a, a pretty big upgrade in terms of your story arc of your season. Uh, I think that, you know, Harden and Durant together would just be an absolutely insane offensive pairing. <laughs> I don't know if it would always work, but it's just so much firepower. Keeping one of those guys on the court and staggering their minutes oh. would just be like the ultimate luxury if you're Steve Nash. So, um you know, I understand Houston's hesitation to, to tr make a trade package that doesn't involve a star-level player coming back. And I think in that situation, you just ask for the world in, in draft picks and you just try to get as many firsts as you can and, and that's what you call your win. But um, I just don't see any benefit. I mean, do you? Like, what if they, they come in with Harden, John Wall, Christian Wood as their team? That's a, that's a nine seed, right? That's a 10 seed. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I just don't see the, the ceiling on that group. Yeah, like their top nine is like Harden, Wall, Tucker, you know, Eric Gordon, Daniel House, Christian Wood, and then like Ben McLemore and David Nwaba, right? and then Sterling Brown, right? Like that's that's probably their top nine. Uh, yeah, that team is not deep enough. One injury on that team or one coronavirus, you know, positive test, and all of a sudden this team is, you know, that's like a lottery team, especially if James Harden is one of the ones that gets injured or, or something like that. So, yeah, th that team, there's just too many good teams in the West now, right? Phoenix is greatly improved. The, the Warriors are going to be back. Like, the Mavericks and Nuggets aren't going anywhere. The, the, you know, the Jazz aren't going anywhere. The two Lakers teams, I mean, all of a sudden, this is su such a competitive Western Conference again. And, uh, yeah, the Rockets, I don't think the Rockets are are going anywhere with, with that team. Uh, yeah, I mean, to ahead. me, they're looking, like, very similar to OKC, you know. Uh, just drop, I mean, maybe not dropping as far down. But I, I think they're looking at a, a big hit. I mean, it's not just about the talent they're losing. It's about the buy-in, right? All those role players had to believe in Daryl Morey's vision. And when you take the visionary out, right, you take the guy who constructed the offense out, you take the guy who is constantly looking for, uh, you know, new evolutions to kind of make it work with Westbrook or to, you know, make these uh, three and D shooters thrive around Harden. You take that mind out. You take that unifying uh, you know, personality out of that mix and everyone's going to start going for himself, right? You're just going to see a different uh, locker room vibe down there in Houston, in my opinion. A couple of teams that stick out to me is potential hardened trade. Miami Heat, they seem to be a team that's like prepping, preparing. They have that cap space in 2021. They're, they're prepping for somebody. They have some young, you know, interesting players. They can throw a ton of draft picks at them. And then the Sixers, right? That's that's a team that also has come up a lot with the obvious Daryl Morey connection. They have Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid, whichever one they decide to go with. Uh, those two destinations seem to be, you know, like maybe dark horse or maybe obvious. It depends on who you ask. Yeah, I mean, to me, like it's always made the most sense, Philly or Brooklyn, right? Because Morey... 
I, mean, I think Maury probably loves Harden more than he loves his own family. I mean, maybe that's a little <laughs> that might be a little. He strong, said he's like a better scorer than Michael Jordan. Yeah, yeah, well, he believes it too, you know. And like, I, know. I, I respect, I respect how well they work together. I mean, you can go down the list of like who is the best superstar executive combo of the last ten years. You know, in terms of like, how do you maximize a player's value? And I think Maury got more out of James Harden than any of LeBron's GMs did. Um, you know, I mean, like it's it's open for debate. You know, you could say Steph Curry, Bob Myers, something like that. Yeah. But like compare it to even Kevin Durant in Oklahoma City with Sam Presti. Sam Presti did a great job, but we can't look back on those Thunder teams and say they went as far as they possibly could. And I kind of looked at those Rockets teams and say, look, other than Chris Paul's uh, hamstring injury, they completely maxed out their ability to win with James Harden for like eight years straight. So I could see why there would be interest there from Philly's standpoint. I could see why Harden would be interested in, in getting back with a GM who took such good care of him as well. Um, but I just don't know if you're if you're Houston, what's the benefit of, uh, you know, trading for a package built around Ben Simmons? Right. Especially now that you've got John Wall. I mean, those guys don't play together. So I don't know. It's uh, it's tricky. We'll have to see what they're looking for. But if it was me, I would try to get as many picks from Brooklyn as possible. I would take back their, uh, you know, the Karis Leverts and Spencer Dinwiddie's of the world, the Jared Allen's of the world. And I would just tank as hard as I possibly could. On the Wizards side now, are they a lock for the Eastern Conference playoffs? Yeah, I mean, look, it's a pretty low bar. Um, <laughs> and I think that when you're looking at teams that are actually making like upward mobility, other than Atlanta, are we saying any other team, maybe Charlotte, if you want to be super generous, is kind of pushing into that picture? And then I think you're seeing Orlando slide this year. I think you're seeing Indiana slide this year. I mean, Toronto is definitely going to be a playoff team, but they're coming back to the path of a pack a little bit this year. Um, so I think from that standpoint, Washington should be in. But uh, they're, they're going to have a lot of things to figure out. Like, I don't think it's going to be particularly pretty to watch them play. And I just really hope that Scott Brooks reads the room and says, this is still Bradley Beal's team. We still have to run the offense around him. Our offense has been pretty efficient with him on the court as, in that lead role. And uh, that's the priority, not trying to chase triple doubles for Russell Westbrook or any of that other stuff. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see that dynamic. Yeah, I think that, I mean, the losers in this are like the Magic. They'll, they'll probably go down a little bit. Uh, the Hornets, they make this big move for Gordon Hayward, and now their playoff hopes are diminished. And the Hawks, too. The Hawks, are their playoff hopes are probably diminished a little bit, bit with this, too. They make all, that, all those moves, and then, you know, the Wizards make this huge one. And so we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens in the Eastern Conference. But Ben Golliver, you can find him in the Washington Post. Uh, follow him on Twitter. I'll put the link in the description of this podcast. You probably already follow him if you're listening to this show. Uh, you can subscribe to Locked On Mavericks podcast and listen to us. Isaac and I are talking about all kinds of media day stuff. We uh, you know, have all kinds of audio and different things like that. So subscribe to the podcast. Follow me at Nick Van Exit on Twitter. Guys, thanks so much for listening to Locked On NBA. Locked On NBA.